Actually, you can't give a spoiler. I, I mean, so we're sitting here riffing because this is the whole episode about riffing, right? Okay. Me, me, me and Jim, many times when we're doing a podcast, you know, especially when we review all the other books, we pick a word or a paragraph. We start telling these stories. We get excited. And then we're like, oh, no, we just went down a rabbit hole. Let's come back. So we decided today to invite another fellow riffer. And this episode is all about Riffin. So I'm Michael Dismukes with continuing conversation. Michael Dismuke with continuing conversation, um, and I, I'm a blogger on continuing missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. I'm also a freelance um, writer for STA. Jim, you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment, and co-host of this here show along with Michael. And we have a very special guest tonight. Our very own, very favorite, Al Spader. Please introduce yourself, sir. How's it going, Al Spader? Um, I help uh, write some things for Star Trek Adventures and um, love bouncing ideas off of uh, the, my other panelists here. Yeah, yeah. So I said it was about time. Go ahead, Jim. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask, Al, I see the, the the lovely, beautiful tricorder up on the top of your shelf there. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I see a uh, I see a DS9 right next to it. I'm curious, is that which DS9 is that? Is that the uh, the old play Playmates version, or is that the uh, the um, the Attack Wing version, or what, what version of DS9 is that? So it's actually the Deep Cuts version, which came grayscale. Uh, ah. mm -hmm. um, so basically, I just put um, like a silver base coat on it and did some ink washing and whatnot. Very nice. Um, but it's up there in case Very I nice. ever want to. Circle the pylons and I, I, I admire your shelving, sir. Very nice. Yeah, it looks really good. Is that a whole collection of Star Trek Adventures RPG guys behind you? Uh, there is a lot back there. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. And my, Every and my, house should have that. My Eagle Moss collection. Very nice. Good. Well, like I said, we are here to riff today. So we have a challenge. So what happened is myself and Jim have been talking about, hey, you know what? We should we should take one paragraph and just extrapolate it and show people how to take an idea that's in the book and to make it into a mission brief, maybe, or maybe you as a game master want to expand it into a full-time module, but there's so much richness. We know it may not be an exact rule or game mechanic, but there's so much richness in the paragraphs. And so we're going to prove it to you today. We're doing this on the fly. Just so you know, we've, we, we've done one thing. We've each picked two different Star Trek Adventures products. And we've taken one paragraph, one area out of it, maybe a couple paragraphs, you know, if, if you needed it. And we are going to show how we would design a story. Now, because of time and we're each doing two, I figure we're going to about, get about seven to eight minutes to riff a piece. And what it'll start with is we do an elevator speech, right? So we'll start. You can read the paragraph and then you can go ahead and give us about one, two minutes on, on where you would turn that module and then we'll just listen and be the geeks we are and join in and ask questions and throw some challenges uh, uh, to each other. Does that sound good, guys? Yeah, Sounds great. Good. One one clarifying question is literally any paragraph out of the book, right? Any. If not, an I, I, I challenge myself. I didn't want to do an encounter seed. We know that there's encounter seeds that basically tell you the story. I wanted one obscure random paragraph. Okay. So I basically what I did is I opened the book. Yep. And I kind of went, boom. I do admit in the Delta Quadrant, I didn't know what page I was going to turn to <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that one. That's but cheating. <laughs> but it's a story that needs to be told. <laughs> uh, let me, it's not about seven, is it? No, it's not. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I was just going to say, I was going to challenge you to do something that's got nothing to do with Annika or seven, but okay. that might have been too much to ask. So uh, no, you win you. that challenge. You win that All challenge. Right. So um, let's see, should we go in alphabetical order by first name? Is that how we should do this? And we'll go around twice in circles? Sure, it works for me. All right, Al. So tell us what book you're pulling from and go ahead and follow the, 
the template? Uh, so I, my first uh, paragraph comes from the Gamma Quadrant uh, book, uh, which we just listened to your um, lovely podcast about. Uh, and it's on page 44. It's a little uh, inset box here. Uh, and it says, the, the mirror dominion, so the dominion from the mirror universe, is a democracy. The founders there see themselves as a guiding force, not true rulers. Their vorta are allowed to develop their fuller telepathic skills and gifts, and the Jem'Hadar do not even take Katressel light. Oh. So this has fascinated me for a very long time, and I know that I've mentioned it in the past uh, to several different uh, writers. Um, and I think just the concept of having something that we know is, you know, pretty evil um, be the forces of good. Um, so my initial pitch would be maybe um, post uh, Dominion War, uh, we're traveling through the wormhole some type of surge happens, you pop out the other end of the wormhole and you're in the mirror universe. Um, and the Domin Dominion ships are bearing down on you. And then you learn, oh, wait, why are they nice? Wow, I, I have a million questions popping up in my head right now. Jim, if you have them, go first. Uh, so are, are we just riffing off the riff here? Yeah, yeah. we're ripping off yeah. the riff. Okay. I mean, I, I love I love the idea. I think I would uh, I would almost set it during the Dominion War. Like, I mean, it depends on when the campaign is, right? But I think to really kind of like put the put the confusion into the players, I'd be like, okay, it's during the Dominion War. You're in the Gamma Quadrant. Dominion ships are bearing down on you. Lots of threat. Lots of threat. Things coming at you, and then you get a hail from them, and you're like, what? And then things are like, what? And then things are very, very different. And is this a ruse? Is it a trick? Like, what? All the tension levels go up. You know, the players are like, what's going on here? We're in the middle of a war. Why are you being so nice? And then the other Dominion shows up. Okay. Okay. See, I would want to push it even further that when they come out of the wormhole on the other side, in what they think is our dimension space, that they come out along with another star, a fleet of, of Starfleet vessels. And facing off right away, here are Dominion ships coming the other direction. Little do the players realize that it is the Mira Universe Federation, which is called the Imperium, right? The, the, the Terran Empire, yeah. The Terran Empire is actually attacking and invading the Gamma Quadrant. And so mm -hmm. at first, they understand that their blows and photon torpedoes are actually aiding as an invasion, a hostile invasionary force. Mm-hmm. They have to. How many? How many rounds would it take for them to realize that that oh, they're yeah. they're the bad guys? Yeah, I think that you could have a really fascinating story stem from there, depending on how long you were stuck in that mirror universe for. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just just flipping it on us, right? Because we're so used to seeing, um, you know, the evil versions of the good guys. Mm -hmm. What about the good versions of the evil guys? And I think that's really. A fascinating flip on things you know yeah i, I mean because because basically uh, see i love that because basically as they were going through the wormhole they somehow swapped with their evil version of their ship and so they have to yep. imitate their own evil version just not to get blown up by by the terran empire off act one act one it's yep. deception oh my goodness this is really good sorry yeah, I, I like i like the idea of maybe using the uh the the mirror universe version of the female changeling as like the the leader of the of the dominion but she's like ruthlessly nice right like she's still the same character right and super ruthless and super determined to get what she wants but she's just nice about it and, and this is that whole different angle to things where she's just not gonna i mean she's not gonna um you know order the extermination of an entire planet but she'll find another way to do it that's just as ruthless as not, not to get political, but it could be almost like, you know, Nancy Pelosi kind of in the lead of the Dominion, right? She's super, super nice, but she gets what she wants, right? She finds a way to get it done. She'll negotiate, she'll do whatever she has to do, but she she just, she finds a way to get it done. And she's just, you know, ruthlessly practical like that, right? I, I just, there's so many angles you could play with that. Um, and then you add in the Vorder, right? Because the Vorder are so subservient anyway, they'd still be subservient, but they'd be very polite about it, even more polite than, uh, um, uh, you know, Jeffrey Combs is already. <laughs> I'll throw one more thing in and then we can move yeah. on to the next. Uh, now imagine that on your ship uh, that goes through the wormhole and all of a sudden you're in mirror world. Uh, what if one of your characters is playing an undercover changeling on the ship mm. and that he comes through or they or she comes through and now is trying to piece together. Wait, 
why are we good now? Like, I think that would be a really cool character arc. Yeah. And then my, my last question to you would be like, where does Kai win stand in all of this? <laughs> mm, yeah. Although, you know, yeah, good, good question about Kai win. You know, Al, I would almost take that another, another sinister direction too. And say like, if, if one of the players is playing a undercover changeling, is that changeling infected by the, uh, by the virus that Odo carried and, and would he, would he or she um, um, accidentally spread that virus to the mirror universe changelings. And then they go off at the end of the episode on their merry way back to their universe. Had they actually brought something with them, you know, yep. unexpectedly. And how does that impact the mirror universe going forward? <laughs> I see, I see oh. Michael gritting his teeth. <laughs> that's a dirty cliffhanger to come back next season. It is, isn't it? Oh, that's dirty. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, so everyone, that was just the first one. One paragraph, and look at the module that was just written. Oh, my goodness. That was good. We got a whole pack of mission briefs. <laughs> I know, I know. All right, Jim, you're up next. All right, so this might go in a different direction, but we'll just see how it works out. Uh, so this is uh, from the command source book. This is page uh, 34. This is uh, talking about um, characters, talking about command-level characters. This is talking about making transfers to the command division. So let me, read, let me read this paragraph here. It's a bit long, so I apologize, uh, but I'll try to crank through it here. Uh, to foster dedication to learning and cross-training to your crew, captains should practice what they preach and engage in tasks that aren't normal captain-type tasks. Captains can host training seminars on a wide range of topics and encourage qualified officers to do the same. Friendly competitions between different departments or different duty watches are also encouraged. Captains should expect officers to come up with creative solutions to strange problems. Watch rosters should rotate and captains occasionally surprise duty officers with spot appearances or scenarios designed to test their ability to operate as a cross-functional team. Officers that show the most effective flexibility are the ones captains want to monitor for possible promotions or transfers to other departments. So that is that. Uh, and this, uh, you know, just to riff on this, I think this is one of the paragraphs I put into the command source book and I'm, I'm being completely self-serving here uh, to, uh, to really encourage people to play captains, to play commanding officers. You don't have to be a captain. You can play the XO. You can play a department head, something like that. Just be willing to get in command of your team or your ship and do different things, right? This is an opportunity for like, if you're, if you're a, 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 you know, a Picard type of captain who spends most of the time on the bridge or in your ready room and you don't really fraternize with the crew, switch it up, you know, do a 180, uh, host a seminar, host, you do a holodeck uh, activity, get, get your, get your players off balance and get your character, get your crew off balance just to do something different, get them ready for something different. Uh, so uh, this was just a bunch of ideas in that, in that vein. Uh, what are you guys thinking? Yeah, I, I love it because I think that's where a B story comes in. You use that entire paragraph where they're doing that at the front of the episode. Maybe there's some humor involved because of the switching of roles and then all of a sudden, here comes the main module or main mission brief that has the more science action. But still, this is going to carry through the entire time. Maybe the captain's trapped with ensigns doing this kind of cross-training. Uh, we've seen that in a couple of episodes. So I, lo I love stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. And going with the ensign idea, I was actually thinking you could even take the same general concept and put them. Um, maybe this is like a dinner at Starfleet Academy where all the cadets families are there. Um, but the professors are, are going to do some type of activity um, to see, you know, who is good for command, who might be good, like, you know, that type of uh, episode. We've seen those type of things before. Like maybe this, this isn't their final test, but this is kind of like just a little test to see how they do when something happens at an event. Was there a line in there too, Jim, where it said about them simulating a pressure or high intensity situation? Yeah. Oh, uh, so that may be a good time for a couple players to conspire with a game master ahead of time to mm -hmm. be off and see how lower ranking characters would deal with it. Ah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, or 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 intentionally play lower ranking characters to give you know somebody else an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that would yeah, be really stuff. interesting. That's a good. Yeah, one. I mean, I. I think that we've talked in the past, uh, you know, about the uh, Kobayashi Maru and how, um, you know, different characters might have different experiences with it. But that um, that the module could absolutely represent, um, you know, what uh, Jim just read off as well. You know, yeah, I think what I would add into there is some sort of protagonist, excuse me, antagonist character it doesn't have to be an action phasers violence but sometimes having a strange admiral come on board or a scientist or an alien 
and it creates this moral challenge with the cap. Maybe, maybe for instance, the captain's a female, but this alien will only talk to males that are under five foot two. And that maybe matches just one of the characters. And we just saw that happen um, on a different show <laughs> where, where, where they had to swap the captain out to start first contact proceedings. So that could be some re- really fun stuff. Again, I, I see humor in a lot of that. <laughs> Very cool. good. Very cool. All right, Michael, what you got for us? All right, good. All right, I'm pulling from the Sciences Division book. So I think, oh yeah. So I found a paragraph, which the minute I read, read it, I was like, oh, I know what I would do with this. It says, investigating temporal phenomenon. Not all time travel stories involve characters actually traveling in time. They may receive an anachronistic message from the distant past or their own future, encounter time dilation or intrusions into their timeline from another one, meet beings from another space-time continuum or from outside space-time entirely, run into themselves from other time periods, or experience time fragmentation and other weirder things. Treat these as any other scientific oddity, except that all the previous considerations in this section still apply. So I would do all of them in one episode. I would create each one of those scenarios. And what I would do, because I've been trying to figure out a way to do it, is I would pull in like the Discover Pack, Paul Stamets. If we all remember from Discovery, he had that moment where he was in the mycelial network and pretty much everywhere at any given time in the multiverse. And so what if somehow some experiment or some phenomenon, the characters on my crew somehow hit that mycelial network and Paul Stamets kind of has to guide them through all of this, meeting themselves, causal loops, but just make time the enemy and, and have a guest starring appearance from Paul Stamets to get them out of it. And therefore, you kind of, you know, maybe they end up in discovery for a while in, in that uh, era. They could bounce through eras for a while. So if you want to play different eras, have them meet stars like Captain Kirk or meet Ka- Christopher Pike. They get an opportunity in this ultimate time adventure. And Paul's our, our hero to or Paul's that mentor to get them through the hero's journey. What do you well, think about or, that? Uh, and uh, one thing you could do is um, take each character and give each character one of these specific time anomalies that they're experiencing and have to share that with each other to try to piece together. Like, why is this different for you than it is for me? Um, you know, that's a coral jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. I like that, Jim. Yeah. It was almost like there's a, the, one of the, one of the prodigy episodes kind of sort of played with time a little bit where each member of the crew was at a different point in the time continuum and they all had to work together to, to fix the the engine, but they were all at different points in time and moving at different speeds. And so different piece, you know, different characters kind of picked up the baton as they went. Uh, but no, I love, I love Al. I love your idea of like uh, having the players in different time places, but still have to figure out a way to communicate and work together. I mean, that's just really fun problem solving. And uh, I, cool. I could really get into something like that. Well, here's what's cool about it too. Even though, the character on your crew is in their own different time problem. Everybody gets to play their character, but in a different time location, if you're understanding what I'm saying. Uh, So so, so you write this into multiple encounters, multiple scenes, and you have to basically tell people now reset because you don't know anything that happened Mm. in the other person's scene. Reestablish the time. Paul Stamets is kind of like the mentor to guide people out. Mm-hmm. and work with the one character who's the lead in that scene because that prodigy episode was epic that was mm-hmm. really creative so yeah that would be great Ooh. yeah interesting yeah i think uh you know just thinking thinking out loud as a game master i think uh that's the kind of episode i probably wouldn't run until the campaign has some legs and that and until the character or the players knew their characters really well and the players had trust among each other where they where a game master could say okay play this scene and now play the next scene as your character, but now you don't know anything that just happened, right? You have to trust them to kind of like disconnect yeah. from what they already know. Because my, my first thought was like, oh, they could just play a supporting character in the other time zones. But then that's not much fun because it's always fun to watch the episodes where they're playing the same characters. They just don't know what happened, right? They, they're going through the loop again or they're going through another thing and they just have to act like they don't know all that stuff. So I, I can see how that could work. That would be really fun, though, as a as a, 
I might have to design yeah. that module and see if it flies. <laughs> that might be really cool. Okay, good. See, this is where ripping gets you. See, yeah. so my ba basic idea, Al landed on it. You have the prodigy comparison. Now I'm sitting here like, uh-oh, I may have an episode to create. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. funny how that happens, yeah. That's beautiful. All right, Al, back to you. Um, all right, so my next one is from the operations division book. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all about forensic autopsies. Mm -hmm. And it really Ooh. goes through how do you conduct a forensic autopsy? Um, and I'm not going to read through the entire paragraph. It's a little bit long, but uh, I just wanted to say, how can, like, you're in the future. Why do we need autopsies? We've got scanners. We've got all of, so what sort of story could we tell where we need to do a forensic autopsy? Uh, well, the, 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 the low, the, I mean, the, the, the easy low hanging fruit is you take the doctor out of their technology, right? You, you put bones on a primitive planet and he's forced to use, um, you know, what, what did he, what did he say in, in Star Trek for, uh, you know, stone knives and, uh, and whatever. So you, you just take the technology piece away and he's forced to use his skills and his talent to, to actually do a physical, you know, forensic autopsy to, to figure out what happened. Um, other thoughts is that maybe the body is somehow uh, naturally shielded or protected from whatever, uh, uh, you know, techno babble frequencies that the Starfleet materials are, are working on, right? Maybe there's some sort of EM interference or some sort of naturally occurring thing, bio, biomechanical, biological thing going on with the body that prevents the scanners from giving the doctor the easy answer. So they got to do the they got to do the dirty work and dig into it. Uh, those are my first thoughts, Michael. What are you thinking? I, you actually nailed exactly what I was thinking. It's like, why can't there be? We already saw in Strange New Worlds the Gorn being resistant to sensor technologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to me, that would be the natural go to at that point, and and mm -hmm. and the game would be an extended task to go into old school surgery. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, I'd probably create a time limit, a timetable on it, yeah. so we get to see the doctor shine as the down and dirty surgeon that sometimes you have to be. Mm -hmm. And that would be a great medical campaign. So again, a B plot could be happening somewhere else. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're working on an extended task um, to show off their skills. I love that. Yeah, I think it's almost a, it's almost a trope of Star Trek, isn't it? To uh, present the characters with a problem and then immediately take away all their advantages. Like everything that they would expect to be able to use, you just, you take those, you write those tools out of the equation somehow, whether, you know, they can't use their shields, they can't use their phasers, they can't use their transporters, they have to use a shuttle instead, you know, something, something happens, and uh, all of a sudden they're just reduced to their their own innate talents, which, you know, kind of at the heart is really what, what the point is, right? It, it's the human, it's the human ingenuity, or, you know, the humanoid ingenuity that's going to solve the problem, not so much the technology that they've got available to them. Um, but you know, you could even go something, you could do a different route too. Maybe, maybe somehow, some way, whatever they're doing the forensic, um, uh, autopsy on, um, has some sort of way to communicate. It's like last wishes and maybe it doesn't want to have technology being used upon it. And it, it's like, I've got, I'm a mystery, right? I'm a mystery. And I don't want you to use technology to figure out what's wrong with me. I want you to physically use your your, 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 your hands and your body or, or whatever, you know, uh, I don't know. You can get really esoteric well, with it. If well, you want. To your point, Al, Al, think about this. What if you put that scenario into the doctor or the team being in a pre-warp civilization, therefore not being able to use their technology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking something along the lines of um, needing to find evidence using indirect evidence. Like, what is happening without being able to see it? Um, we need to investigate, you know, what happened to the surrounding tissue? What happened to the, like, I don't know if there's a bacteria that is like, that is always cloaked or something like that. You know, um, I think it would be neat. To, you know, we still, you know, the atom is still based on indirect observation, right? Like mm -hmm. what we know about it. And, and so I think that's really fascinating to be able to, um, look at the surrounding area and try to figure out what happened. I actually think that's awesome. I, I going bouncing off Jim's idea where the person has some sort of sacred vow not to ever have their body infiltrated or scanned or cut into, mm -hmm. and yet still having to use not just the medical skills to solve this murder mystery, but security and maybe counseling, you know, psychology to try to detect who murdered somebody. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good one to go to. 
that could engage all different roles. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, just, just riffing off that, you know, I, I would almost even like it, as the doctor gets into it and they're starting to try to figure it out um, as a, as a, as a devious game master, right. I might even spend threat to add complications uh, or other traits and say, okay, you know, you rely, you're a character that relies on your site. Okay. The lights just went out. Now you got to conduct, conduct your forensic um, analysis in the dark with just by touch or you're, you're relying on touch. Something's happened. Your ability to, to sense what, you know, like your hands have gone numb. You, you cannot touch now. Like, like, like just gradually strip away their, um, their, their abilities and just to see what happens. Right. I mean, obviously there'd be an out, but <laughs> just to, just to you know, ratchet up that tension a little more, just keep, keep finding ways to take things away from them and just see how they adapt and, and, and deal with it and, uh, and still try to solve the mystery. Um, oh man, that's, that's dirty. I, I, I got some ideas. I like <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think also if you want to take it into the realm of psionics, that the only kind of investigation allowed is their dying thoughts. Mm. Yeah. And see, and put, put them into the mind. We've seen that happen in some other episodes, put them into the mind of this person. And maybe the real mystery is the clues that you're picking up from their dying thoughts that allow mm -hmm. the investigation in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, DS9 did a really good episode with that, with, with uh, the dying Sloan and, uh, and uh, O'Brien and um, Bashir had to go into his brain and kind of like get the thoughts before it was too late. And, and, and Sloan was actually fighting them right to the very end. It, it was fascinating. It was just, just the, the, the concept of it was like, okay, you got three consciousnesses gone running around this guy's brain and he's trying to keep the secrets away from them and they're trying to stop them and they could get killed too. It was just, it was, uh, it was crazy, but I would, that's the kind of episode that I would love to get into again with a, with a mature group, like, like a group that I've played with for a while and, uh, and that they would trust me and I would trust them to, to make it, you know, really cool and interesting as opposed to just sitting there for half an hour with analysis paralysis, like, well, what do we do? I don't know. This is so confusing. <laughs> Look at that. We did this in like, that was like six or seven minutes. Yeah. And I mean, it just amazes me how, how you can take that and just start building mission briefs off of that. Right. So you discover the body or act one, discovering the body, having to, you know, being invited to do the investigation Two, you have all the mystery wound up. And by three, you figured out what the issue is and have to solve it. I, I, you just start tossing tasks and challenges into it. You got a great episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, gosh, it's going to sound so self-serving, but man, I love this game. <laughs> I, I love Star Trek as a storytelling venue, right? As a franchise, it's so good. This, but like any story, any, any genre you can think of, you can find a way to, to, to put it into Star Trek. And uh, I mean, this is this is so much fun. I mean, I, honestly, I, I told you guys before, I have such a short memory on these books because I have to purge before I go to the next one uh, so that I could be a really good, effective um, editor. So I'm focused on the thing in front of me. Um, so it's so refreshing to go back and reread these and just to listen to the selections you're coming up with. Because it's like, boy, we really packed in a lot of ideas into these. If, if you're just willing to kind of like take it and stretch it out and uh, play with it and uh, and like Play-Doh, you know? Well, well, look what we have so far. Suppose we were our own episode, uh, our own series of Star Trek. We have this yeah. starting Mira ep universe episode with the Dominion. People are definitely going to watch that, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go over and we have the command officer getting to know his their their crew better um and with a little comedy maybe some hijinks but then there's this other story going on and then we move over to this introduction to discovery and paul stamets is the as the mentor to guide the heroes through this what we'll now call a temporal jigsaw puzzle and then we throw it back and there's this amazing forensics episode with this alien culture that's just one of those rich slow grind episodes that that mm -hmm. that that gets you with a mystery antagonist. Oh, see, we're doing good so far. <laughs> Jim. Yeah, yeah this is crazy. Episode. This is great. Okay. So uh, my next, uh, my next riff is coming from the uh, Shackleton expanse campaign guide. And uh, I, I was very careful to pick a, pick a page that I did not write. Cause I, I wrote a good chunk of this, um, but I wanted to make sure I picked something that I, that I wasn't as familiar with. Cause I'm, even though I do have a short memory, um, there's a lot about the Shackleton Spans that just kind of like ingrained itself to me because I've been I lived with it for so long. Uh, but anyway, so this is uh, this is from the Shackleton Spans campaign guide. This is page uh, twenty blah 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 twenty. What what the heck is this? Twenty four, I think twenty four. Yeah. So this is early in the book. So this is you know a big massive tome. So you don't have to wait long to get to this uh, this little nugget. So this is uh, we're talking about some of the spatial phenomenon 
that are available in the expanse. It's talking about the, the endurance divide. This is the second chapter, so I'll just read it real quick. Inside the, inside the endurance divide, the skies are dimmed by the high concentrations of dust, and often the brightest stars are the nearby brown dwarf stars systems that are accompanied by a few icy dark worlds. While devoid of Class M worlds, the divide's strange environment is host to a complex ecosystem of space-borne life forms ranging from single-celled chemosynthetic organisms feasting on ammonia ices to the 500-meter-wide wingspan of the Nimrod schooner, an asexually reproducing animal resembling a cross between a solar sail vessel and a Terran woodlouse. So that is <laughs> thank you to Aaron Palea for putting those yes. words, like for putting those words into those combinations because like I would have never have thought of Terran animal between a solar sail vessel and a woodlouse. Okay, wow. All right. So my initial thoughts here is like this is this is perfect for a deep space exploration kind of game where you are out there pushing the envelope of the edge of the Federation, looking for the new stuff, boldly going where no person has gone before. And here you are suddenly stuck in this expanse amidst all the concentrations of dust, the, the dimmed high concentration of the dust, the brightest stars and the nearby brown dwarf stars. And there's just a few icy dark worlds here so your your crew, your away team just crashed on an icy dark world in the middle of all this dust and nothingness. And maybe there's a few of these interesting spaceborne life forms, single cell chemosynthetic organism feasting on ammonia ices. Somehow there's they're there's they're sentient, they're proto-sentient, they're they're nearly sentient, and maybe they can help you get out. Like, what do you do? How do you how do you deal with this? But like this is this is science at its like it's, it's Star Trek science at its best because it gives you a chance to really get into some world building. It gives you a chance to get your characters out of the, the you know, be the fish out of water. They're away from their ship. Again, we're taking things away from them, right? We're, we're taking their ship away from them. We're taking their crew away from them. So now it's just them relying on themselves. It's like shuttlecraft. What is it? What was it called in the enterprise shuttlecraft one shuttle pod one when, uh, when Reed and, uh, and, and uh, trip were stuck in the shuttle together, freezing to death. Uh, so I, I can just see, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do with this, but that, those are my initial uh, cracks at this. So, uh, um, Al, what are you thinking? Uh, just thinking about those chemosynthetic uh, life forms, I think that's a really fascinating and, uh, uh, thing that we don't talk about enough, uh, you know, uh, when we start talking about space-borne life. Uh, and like you said, maybe they have some type of proto-sentience, but maybe not when there's just a couple of them. Maybe you need to have millions to billions of them around for them to generate almost like this hive sentience. Mm. Um, and so, so maybe uh, there, th these things want to help uh, the shuttle pod that has crashed. Um, but uh, there's no way to do that unless you can get near a bunch of them. Oh, and like, maybe getting, yeah. Like maybe right. you play it like a horror, like, you know, the, this, this mass of these, you know, these, Singular cellular organisms are, you know, wrapping around the shuttle and play almost like a horror uh, type thing, but they're really just gathering together so that they can use their sentience. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was, that's where that's where I was going. Is is more of them gather, more of them gather, more of them gather. Things get worse, right? Like them them gathering up in force is making things worse for the ship, but they're also getting stronger telepathically or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, hopefully you have a size sensitive character amongst you, like a Vulcan or a Delton or something who can actually pick it up and like, Oh, wait a minute. They're actually trying to help us. Wait a minute. Yeah. So you say they're trying to help. I'm actually going to flip it and yeah. make it that the more they become sentient, maybe they pick up negative thoughts or energies. They actually become more violent. They start uh, yeah. violent things. And since the shuttle is destroyed, mm. the extended task that I would ask my players to do is take one of those giant wood louses and they have to modify it to escape the planet. They got to get inside uh, yeah. of it, take what they can from the shuttle to create life support or whatever, mm. navigation, and they need to ride a wood louse out of it. Mm. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I would I would eat that up. I, I would be all over that. that that's the kind, that's the kind of episode. If I was the science officer, man, I'd be all over that. That would, or, or the engineer even. Yeah, uh, that, would, that would be super cool. Well, you need a medical officer too, maybe to you know make sure the woodlouse doesn't die, so they have yeah. to sue some. But but to me, everything you just described, Al, that scenario and what what Jim you're talking about, I can see it in my mind. It's beautiful. It's visual. It's magical. It's fantastical, and it's just like 
Yeah, we had to modify a wood louse in order to get back to out of orbit. <laughs> you didn't know we were down there or whatever. You know, yeah, that's a that would be a hot episode. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the kind of episode I, I think I mentioned it. I don't remember who I was talking to. Uh, it might have been a couple of writers where I was saying like, you know, uh, oh, you know, it was. I, I know what I was doing. I was talking about a book, and I said, you know, even though this book is about X, we still need to hit the sense of wonder. We still need to make it Star Trek. We still need to make it yeah. big, amazing, visual, bold. Wow, gosh, gee. I, I just looked through the Hubble Space Telescope, or I guess the James Webb Telescope, and I just saw the amazing, the amazing things that are out there in the cosmos. I want you to hit that, hit that sense of wonder button, even though you're talking about other stuff. You know, hit that sense of wonder. This is the kind of episode that I would just, I would love because, because like you're saying, Michael, just the the visual imagination is sparking off all these great ideas, like the 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 solar the solar sailor sail like animal, right? Somehow the engineer manages to hook the the shuttle into that and they fly out of the the dark dust clouds and the ship is like what is this and uh, you get that whole nice uh, you know closing yeah. scene in the in 10 forward or something with them talking about it or whatever i'm saying they're climbing into the creature's open mouth and modifying its digestive <laughs> system i'm yeah. saying dump the shuttle make kill the shuttle act one is sense of wonder they crash land Oh man, our shuttle act two is these alien things coming at them. It gets worse and worse. Their shuttle is decomposing. And act three is quick modification before they get killed by these psychic the sentient creatures. I mean, that's mm. Mm. I can feel it. <laughs> I want to just marinate on that for a second. <laughs> Well, you know what the great thing is, uh, you're recording this, so we can go watch this over and over again and go, oh, you know, we had that idea way back and uh, we should uh, we should pick that apart a little further. And that's that's something I want to actually uh, just a quick uh, a quick digression here uh, to game masters and prospective game masters is that literally we're doing this in 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Right. And we're, we're probably kind of picking at the low hanging fruit. Right. I think if we were to collectively really put our heads together and grab one of these and really do a deep dive. We could, I mean, we could add so much to it, but you don't need to. That's that's, that's the other point I wanted to say is like to, to run a great Star Trek uh, adventure session, you don't need to do the deep dive into all this stuff. Like just even just with the low hanging fruit, we just came up with five great episodes that you could run bang right off one right away one night and with your group and just riff on it and have a great time. Well, look at what we did, too. You could take the command episode you just did yeah. and make them the ones on the planet dealing with this louse situation so <laughs> yeah. you can take two great ideas and say you know what? i don't have enough meat in one but let's yeah. go ahead and bring that idea and create one heck of a module mm. yeah like, or, or one can continue with the other yeah uh and, and you know as gms sometimes we like to have like absolute control and plot and pace everything out but sometimes if we just give the idea to our players and let them run with it they're going to write the story for you you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that uh, being able to be flexible like that is a great quality to have, especially with Star Trek adventures. Yeah, make them, you know, I, I you know, when I play it in person, I, I play mostly on Discord now. But if they come up with an idea, you know, don't go like this. And for those of you who can't see my face because you're listening to the podcast, I'll explain what I do after. But don't go like this, like, uh, yes. So you sound, hear the uncertainty in my voice, right? If they make up an idea, it's a game for me to go, yeah, okay. And then I'm sitting in the back of my mind going, okay, I got to make this work. Got to, got to figure it out. So then that's my challenge that makes the game super fun for me is letting them write like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that and say, um, as a game master, and, you know, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, I'm sure. Um, uh, but you have, there, there's two things you can do. Number one, it will, well, both you and the players, right. You have threat and momentum you can spend. So like to, to help facilitate just that creativity and, and making things happen in the moment, I say, say yes, and this happens, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to spend two threads, create a complication and, and just build on it. Right. And then the players can say, oh, well, shoot, that's happening. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to create an advantage or we're going to spend, you know, momentum to do this sort of thing. And you can kind of like, you can just use the, the game mechanics that are available to you to shape the story as you go scene by scene. Right. You don't have to just wait for the game master to tell you what's happening. You know, you can act as players, you have the agency to some extent with the game. You got determination, you got momentum, spend it, use it. Um, and then the, I had another point, darn it, and I lost it because I was so excited. Uh, what was it? What was it? Oh, it'll come back to me, darn it. I'll have to uh, marinate. Uh, I'm going to use your word, Michael. I'm going to let him marinate and try to remember what it was. But why don't you uh, um, right. go ahead and tell us what your second second idea was? 
Okay, so we'll do the final one and then we can go back and I, that idea is going to come back to you. We can close out talking about what we learned for this and give some advice and tips to people. So yeah. I chose from right. the Delta Quadrant, which is my favorite uh, show. Everyone knows USS Voyager is my favorite show. And no, Jim, this is not a seven of nine story. Um, but one of my favorite episodes was a season one episode when they traveled to Sicaria. And Sicaria was a people who had... Um, transportation technology that can move them 40,000 light years at once. So that would have been more than half the journey home for Voyager. However, they had their own version of the Prime Directive and they refused to share this technology with Voyager. Just so you know, later on, the technology does reappear in Picard. In 2399, the Borg ship, we're informed, have assimilated Sicaria, which breaks my heart because it's a paradise planet. And the people, though, you know, they restrict it with their Prime Directive. They were the nicest people. They loved pleasure. Yeah, it's a great vacation spot, even if you don't want to live there. So there's a paragraph in here on page 32. It says, an attempt was made by the crew of the USS Voyager on stardate 4862.5 to acquire the trajector matrix in the hopes of shortening their journey through the Delta Quadrant. But the technology proved to be catastrophically incompatible with Federation systems, as well as being non-functional beyond the range of the planet's quartz mantle which served as a natural field application device so i kind of want to know what happened to the sicarians and how they fell to the board so mm -hmm. i would do this for like a picard setting maybe like when seven was a fenris ranger um, maybe chris rios is already gliding around the the galaxy in 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 the las arena and what if there was a batch of sicarians who were desperately running from the Borg. Maybe they had modified quartz mantle technology, costumes, whatever, and they start popping up on the fringes of the Romulan border where, where Seven's working, where Chris is working, where some of those characters from Picard are working. And they're the survivors of Sicaria. And the Borg follow them through. The Borg are desperate to follow them through. So now the goal is basically to hide them and hide what's left over of their technology. So it's just kind of a heroic search and rescue, jumping 40,000 light years at a time. Hmm. Ah, how would you use that? Hmm. They're both stroking their beards. Well, Jim doesn't have a beard. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I shaved this weekend because I was tired of the, of the scrub. They're, they're both, um, they're both uh, doing it. But I like depressing yeah. stories like that. That's why I asked. I, yeah. I like sad tales. Uh -huh. And put some fear of the Borg, you know, into into the story. Yeah, I, I, have, I would have to think about how I'd want to handle that. I, I almost want to lean into the mystery of what happened. Right. And maybe have the crew encounter a, a like a damaged Borg vessel or a, I mean, I would almost go like the I the uh, I uh, I Borg route and have them find a, a survivor on a, on a moon or something. And they're they're an assimilated Sicarian, and uh, and just through you know techno babble chicanery and med med medical babble, uh, they they kind of bring the 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 Borg out of it out of the equation, and the, then the the Sicarian can tell a story, um, or are they telling the truth? Like maybe the Borg maybe the Borg programming is overlaying it, and they're just trying to get out of the bad uh, you know get away from the Federation. Maybe they, they're trying to double cross the Federation or something, but. Uh, um, I would want to present it as a mystery, I think, and then have them kind of like the players discover it as they go, maybe, and figure out what exactly happened to this uh, to this culture. I like that. I think Seven wasn't even around to meet them, which is interesting. So yeah. we may need to pull in maybe a guest star ex-Voyager, whether it's like a Harry Kim or Tom Paris, and create some sort of mystery. I actually like the way you kind of slowed it down, whereas I had to like them popping and jumping and stuff like that slowing it down to be very like impact of the Borg on what was once a refined people and mm. kind of a, a scary forevision if the Borg ever do defeat the Federation. Yeah. Well, and did that, that paragraph mentioned that the spatial trajector was tested on a Federation ship. Right? Catastrophically incompatible. Though. Catastrophically. So there had to have been some type of experimentation. So maybe at the end of this, they end up with a prototype or the plans for um, this trajector. Okay. Yeah. It was tested on Voyager and failed. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, so this could be, if you want to really up the game and get people going further than the borders of the Federation, if you want to take your ship there, I know we took our ship to another galaxy. We're operating 13.7 million light years away. 
So yeah. this technology may make it so that you can really push the borders of exploration through mm-hmm. acquiring it, right? Mm-hmm. And the board must have it at this point, right? Like, the yes. board, like, oh, like they definitely yeah. have it. So what's that going to look like on a board? Like, is that faster than a transwarp conduit? Yeah. So, yeah. So what if a securing can be an XB? So you already said that they were, so maybe they become an XB and Q steps in to help liberate this Sicarian XB who has the access to the technology. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. 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 Yeah, this and, yeah. Go ahead. And to riff on it a little further now, you know, depending on your group, if you have your, if you have your power, uh, if you have your meeting with your group and you, uh, and you, and they're willing to go dark with this, you could almost, um, you could almost, you could do it as a, like a, a psionic thing where they're doing like a mind melt, or you could actually do time travel where the player characters are actually transported to the paradise planet and they have to live through the, yes. they have to live through the assimilation for some reason, right? Not just to horrify them and make them feel terrible about what's happening to this beautiful planet and the beautiful people, but like they have to learn something during the assimilation, like some important thing happened during the assimilation that they have to, they have to get through it long enough to see the important code on the screen or something happens, but then they still got, they got to, they got to relive the horror of, of the entire planet being assimilated. And there's great material, not, not to plug the Delta quadrant book, but there's um, like the writers put a lot of great detail into there about how the Borg actually go about assimilating a planet. What does that actually mean for the planet to be literally torn apart and, and harvested for resources. And, and like, you just imagine that's happening to this beautiful paradise planet. And, and the player characters have to feel all of that. And now, you know, that could get pretty dark, right? And you're, some players may not want to go there, but if your group is willing to go there, right? You could really dig into this. And then if it's, if, it's a, if it's a psychological thing, like if you're doing the mind meld with this XB and you're having to relive all this stuff, then that's just a whole nother angle to it too, right? I mean, that's that's kind of dark. play, darker than play, I would go, but... I'm going to act yeah. as the XB for a moment wherein they say, in every scenario I've tried, because this XB can't, not only transports 40,000 light years, but it's also figured out how to modify it to go back in time. Mm. This XB says, I, in every scenario I tried, sounds a little end game here, but in every scenario I tried, I failed. But what I can try, get one last try, I can save a remnant of Sicarians that won't be assimilated. It's going to be a small group but I have enough power to do it. I don't have enough people to do it. Will you mm-hmm. please help me? And it's going back in time to secure. Oh, that would be devastating visuals. Just mm-hmm. watching this mass, beautiful people getting assimilated. But it's all about saving one remnant of the Sicarians. And maybe they give their life up to do this. They only get one jump to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and because you're not, because as a game master, you are not writing the end game. You're, you're not writing the conclusion. You're leaving it up to the players, the players, the players choices and the players agency, they might succeed. They might fail. And, and that whatever happens, like that would, that ending of that episode would, would be very different if they, if they succeeded, it's kind of bittersweet, but they know that they succeeded or if they failed, right? It's it, it's just a really dark closer, right? It's like okay, we tried, <laughs> we had the moment, and we we blew it, and it's like ah, and then, like DS Nine had a lot of great episodes where it just kind of like ended on a down note. You're like, that's it? There's no happy next gen ending here. What is this? But that's like that's life, man, right? And that's just so real. Uh, sorry, Al, I think I cut you off, but uh, uh, I, I think we both had ideas at the same time, so I could just <laughs> that last scene as you come back forward in time to your regular place in time uh, and there on the view screen is the Sicarians there waiting for you um, that you, that remnant that you were able to save and how that conversation might go. You know what I mean? Like mm. their civilization is there to greet you. Um, and that mm. could be a really powerful, I mean, we, we saw something similar, like similar to that in strange new worlds where we saw, you know, what, the future them would look like um you know you know why i like that too i'm afraid i've said it before i'm afraid to play the borg in the game because i'm afraid that they'd win but what i like about this is they're bystanders to the force of nature though they have an integral under mission that the borg aren't aware about you know there could be some danger of trying to hide from them not getting scanned but they still could be get to be in the middle of the horror that is the borg and again it makes it so that when they come back they played a board game they didn't have to directly confront the borg really but they're going to have a high respect for the board because they took down Sicaria, which was equal to the Federation in technology. Yeah. If not better. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a lot like Quantum Leap, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, like, th- there was a Quantum Leap episode where they, where he went back in time to try to stop uh, the assassination of JFK, and he failed. And when he came back forward in time, they said, "Well, in the original timeline, JFK's wife was killed too." So mm-hmm. they twisted. It up. So, like, you know, they twisted it on him, saying that, "Well, you did have an impact. It just wasn't the impact you thought you were going to have." Right. Yeah, yeah. I would name this Song of Sicaria. Yeah. <laughs> That makes me sad. <laughs> okay, so let's think about this, everyone. I'm going to go through the first six episodes of whatever we're calling this, the, the USS Riff, right? Star Trek Riff. And, and in the very first episode, we had this amazing mirror universe, Dominion are the good guys. Uh, you've been swapped your ship with the with the Terrence ship. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what a, what a great two-parter opener to that season what it would be right and then we went over to jim and jim talked about command officers and created this scenario where you get to know the captain a little bit better um, by showing what the day-to-day is like on the ship maybe there's some interpersonal drama or something like that um, and then i talked about this great paul stamets guest starring uh temporal jigsaw puzzle episode we get back to al and al remind me because i don't have that great of a memory uh, we were talking about the forensic analysis. Oh yeah, oh that was that was a good murder mystery. Look, we had a futuristic murder mystery. It's not a high tech. I don't picture that being a high tech episode. Not it's one of those cool slow grinds we talked about, right? And then we spin it back to Jim, who just came up with this amazingly beautiful, fantastical endurance divide exploration. Great creatures. Oh my god, that was beautiful. Um, and then finally, we end with a, the song of Sicaria, which. It's meant to put people some fear of the Borg and see the downfall of an empire because of this universal storm that passes through. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. I'm impressed, guys. Yeah, that was fun. So I, I, I've got, I, I completed whatever that thought I had earlier. I've lost it. I, I don't know. I'll have to watch the episode again to, to try to remember. Uh, but I was intentional about, about writing two thoughts down uh, related to everything that you just summed up. Uh, the first thing I want to say is we did uh, a surprisingly decent job of creating six episodes that kind of had different role focuses, right? So we got the we got the commanding officer role, we got the engineer, we got the medical officer, we've got you know any number of characters could get involved in that whole Borg thing. Um, but so we we were able to show a spread of different characters that could be spotlighted in each of these episodes, which is great for an ensemble cast because like every role playing game is an ensemble cast that, unless you have like two players, right? Then yours would have been a good, sorry, yeah. yours, yours would have been good for flight controller too with the woodlouse, a flight controller oh, yeah. getting a, a beast to become a ship would be pretty <clears> cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing I want to say, just like, like those six episodes uh, cover a good range of, um, of roles so that that gives everybody something to do, uh, which at the game table, which is always nice. It's always nice for everybody to have something to do. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that, and this is something I don't think we've really highlighted on, on a lot in the books, except maybe we may have got it into the Game Master Guide, is that um, if you have good creative players and a good creative Game Master, um, you don't necessarily have to have just one Game Master in your group. You could rotate the Game Mastering job around different players, partly because the game is so... Um, easy to run in terms of like, you, you don't have to come up with, a, you don't have to do a lot of preparation, right? You can just kind of like come up with the concept, high level concept, do a mission brief, and then just run with it. Any player could do that if you have the attention and the, the, and the interest, right? But my, my point being is um, this, this little riff session kind of shows you the advantage of having more than one game master minded person in your group, because week after week or set, you know, episode after episode, it's going to feel different. Right. Al's ideas were very different than mine and very different than Michael's. We still made them all work and they're all really cool. But this is this is kind of the advantage of having multiple game masters in your group if you can make it happen. Or if you're willing to get a player to be a game master for for one episode or one session or something is that um, it's almost like a writer's room. Right. It's like it's like a pool of writers in your in your in your series. And it's a pool of directors. Right. You got different directors. You got different writers. We're all going with the same vision. We're all going with the same ship, same crew. Um, but you're able to create different things and still make it really cool and interesting. And I think uh, this, and I have to admit that my very best Star Trek campaign I ever ran, I had a co-GM and he and I went, we, we swapped off episodes back and forth, uh, you know, week after week. And it was so refreshing as a game master, not to have to do all the work myself. 
And he's, you know, he said the same thing, but it was also nice because he was more plot driven and I was more character driven and, and to provide those counterpoints week after week, it gave the players a lot of interesting stuff to do, right? Because they got to get different things. And I learned to be more plot focused from him and he learned to be more story, uh, you know, more character focused for me. And it, like, it just worked out so well that that wealth of uh, trading information. So I think um, even though I know this game, uh, like on social media, we hear a lot of people saying, I can't find a game master. I can't find players or whatever. And to, for me to say, Oh, you know, you know, you know, have two game masters, have three game masters. Yeah. Everybody can be a game master <laughs> in this game. If you want, I know that's a little bit of a luxury, but like, seriously, like if you if you're focused on just the core basics of this game system and you get the ideas and you get the, those ideas generated and you start riffing off of each other like this, you can, anybody can run this game. I think, um, really honestly <laughs> so i'll stop i get off my soapbox now and i'll stop talking i love it Al, what do you have to say about how do you feel about what we just uh riffed on our little riff party yeah i i think the biggest uh thing for me is hey if you've never tried gming before um try something like this find a single idea in a book and think about what possible things you could do with it and then sit down with a group of three or four players and Say, all right, well, you're on the bridge and this is what happens. And then with them, tell the story, right? Um, I often say to my players, don't um, ask me if you can do something. Tell me what you want to do. And then I will tell you if you need to roll dice or, you know, what happens next. Yep. Um, and I think if you've never GM before, um, it can be a bit intimidating, but if you just look at one idea, one concept, you can build an entire episode from that uh, along with your players. Yeah, it really works. And you know, I like something that you did, Al. Um, I don't know if it was intentional, but it was a great example. And I, I'm glad we caught it on tape because at one point when I was talking about the story, you went, yeah, or, and then you stopped yourself and went, yes, and. That I caught that. And I was like, oh, that's epic. Because that's the thing. If you notice, we didn't criticize each other. We didn't say anything was a bad idea. We built and, and in seven minutes time, don't lie. You want to watch these episodes. You <laughs> wish these, I mean, come on. You know, we know, we know what sells. And, and that mm -hmm. is the mentality of writers room is yes. And, and yeah, you may cast out some ideas to use later. I never waste an idea. Um, but, but that's the power of playing as player or game master, just be yes. And, and help create the story. This is what I live for in life. Stuff like this, especially if we were around a fire riffing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some well, you, know, you, you know, Michael, uh, if we ever dust off that Oberth campaign, there, there's your first six episodes. We're good. We're ready. Ooh, <laughs> Let's yeah. go. You're right. I'll, I'll make it. I'll make, I, I have a starting episode. We, everyone who's listening in, we've been doing session zero if you go on continuing missions and look up session zero you'll see us doing this but building the campaign um so i do have the first one plotted out this would definitely be all the next episodes and it'd be fun because we kind of know the endings but we get to act in the story you know we always don't metagame we just play through it yeah wow this got me i don't know how i'm gonna fall asleep tonight everyone uh -huh. <laughs> This is really, really good. Well, as usual, you know, we want to do uh, thank yous all around. Um, why don't we let Al, why don't you go ahead and start? Anybody you want to thank or any shout outs you want to do? Um, just uh, specifically, uh, as we're recording this, Gen Con is going to be happening in a couple of days. And I want to thank all the game masters that volunteer their time, that work hard um, to try to provide a safe gaming space uh, for people to play games, learn games, uh, and be with other people. Um, Thank you all for everything that you do. All right. And thank you. I know Al, all of your uh, mission briefs and all the work you do for, for Star Trek Adventures is appreciated. I, I love torturing my players, which was one of them is you with uh, your, your <laughs> twisted ideas. So really appreciate having you with us. I'm going to do the shout outs to the brick and mortar like usual. Michael J. Simmons sends in Night Owl Games in Littleton, Colorado and Dallas Reinhardt. Wants to shout out the Century Box, Calgary, Al Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So we love that. I'm, in case people don't know, my monster Quebec. So I'm all about the connectors right. up there. <clears throat> all right, Jim, what about you? Uh, I want to keep it positive and heartfelt. So uh, as of this recording, it is August 1st. And uh, just over the last week, we, uh, we lost both David Warner and uh, Nichelle Nichols. So I want to thank both of them for everything they did, not just for Star Trek, but just uh, their, the lives 
they they lived the the roles, the characters they brought to the to the screen in all sorts of formats. And uh, Nichelle Nichols for being such an amazing ambassador. Uh, she she got I, I can't even imagine if there's any way we could ever know how many, but so many people got involved in the space program and STEM and STEAM and just she was such a positive influence for so many people for so long that uh, just thank you to both of them humbly because they are they are two of the giants that that we stand upon uh, you know their their shoulders right I mean we're doing a little tiny little bit of Star Trek here but they. <laughs> They actually moved the world. They changed the world. And we're just, you know, thankful for them. So I want to thank both of them for everything they did, plus all the other Star Trek alumni that we've lost over the years. Uh, but especially now, because it's, it's recent and, and, and still still feeling it, uh, both of them. Thank you. I'll always remember that best line in the movie that she ever tossed out. Things got to have a tail bite. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite lines, Undiscovered Country. It was great. All right. Well, that's us for today, everyone. IDIC. I hope we got you excited and we're out. Be safe, be well, live long and prosper. There I am. Live long and prosper. We will talk to you next time. Bye.